Welcome to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to Innovation and in Government. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is David Ray, the Public Sector Chief Technology Officer at Microfocus Government Solutions. David, welcome back to the program. Well, welcome. Thank you for, for having me on. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. Think of 2020 as a year of confluence. Security, cloud migrations, application rationalization, the move to agile or DevSecOps mindset has been part of the federal IT modernization efforts for some time. But as the maturity of these efforts accelerate and the, and the understanding of customer experience increases, agencies are primed and ready to make digital transformation more than a bunch of one-offs or talking points. The Office of Management and Budget has said, as agencies move to the cloud, there are several things to consider. Agencies must assess the need for and the usage of applications and agencies must discard obsolete, redundant, or, or overly resource-intensive applications. OMB says the decreased application management responsibilities will free up their workforces uh, to focus on improving service delivery by optimizing their remaining applications. At the same time, the growth and acceptance of things like robotics process automation and other automated capabilities, for security as an example, are changing the way agencies work and, as, and at a speed that sometimes the workforce has trouble keeping up with. So how can agencies strike the right chords when it comes to melding all of these efforts to drive IT modernization? Well, that's where my guest comes in. Once again, David Ray, the Public Sector Chief Technology Officer at Microfocus Government Solutions. David, I, I know I threw a lot out there, but let me, let me back up and just start sure. with security. Uh, I think that's the number one priority when I talk to CIOs and other people in the, in the federal IT market. Security, security, security. The government's going down a very successful path in many regards with the continuous diagnostics and mitigation, the CDM mm -hmm. program. What are you seeing from your, when, when, you got, when you talk to government clients and, and customers about CDM, and where's it heading in 2020? Well, I think, first of all, I, I commend for some of the changes they made with CDM uh, Defend, where they opened up the procurements to, to be more flexible in solving some of the advanced requirements around compliance and, and security. In the past, it was a very sequential model between, between phases. So in this phase, it, it, it will allow vendors, you know, like us, MicroFocus, to, to innovate a little faster and then provide some of that innovation back uh, to meet the, the core CDM requirements. Um, so things like advanced correlation and collection of events and data, as well as uh, analytics and remediation of those events, things that we, we could, quite frankly, could have done in phase one and phase two, weren't really part of the scope of CDM. Um, now that they are, it, it enables us to, to couple that with some of the operational analytics and provide a true security and operations center versus an independent you know, knock and sock for agencies, as well as tie in user behavioral and analytics and machine learning, some of those capabilities as well. Um, so it, it, it opens up that aperture of requirements that a CISO can, can try and solve. So we're very excited about that and about some of the innovations that, that we can do. And we're not stuck in a box anymore where we have offerings, but they don't meet the requirements or the scope that were limited in, in the first couple phases. So it's, hopefully it'll be an exciting year as they get their, their budget. As you talk to the different chief information security officers and others that were working on CDM, do they understand that the aperture has opened, that there is less prescription and more kind of, there's a dynamic way to, to solve this problem, which I, is better security? I think they do, and they actually drove the change because they, they were frustrated themselves. You know, they, they, they were stuck with um, the specific requirements and they could only solve things like compliance and configuration management in phase one and phase two. Now they can focus on true you know, uh, user identity management as well as some of the advanced innovations and in analytics and, 
collecting real-time metrics and things that, uh, um, that may not even be a requirement yet. They may evolve over time. So they have flexibility to do that. Um, to keep pace with the threats that are out there today. And I think that's key is that the keeping pace with the threats that are out there today. And I think that's one of the things that they complained about CDM early mm -hmm. on, which was, well, we have certain tools, and you want us to replace these tools, and how long it's right. taking to get the tools. Uh, and uh, I go back to the, the WannaCry virus mm -hmm. is the one moment where they said, oh, that CDM thing <laughs> actually does work pretty well. Uh, where, you know, you talked a lot about different tools, different innovations. Is there one or two things that you are seeing a lot from agencies requesting right now? Anything very specific? I, I am. I, I think what, what they're starting to realize is the amount of events and data that they're trying to track is simply colossal. And aggregating information in its raw form has become extremely challenging. So they're starting to investigate ways that they can segment um, the event collection and actually correlate events better to give them better analytics. And in our portfolio, we've that's been one of our feature areas, our advanced correlation. So we can take some of the aggregation technologies the agencies are using today, help them do a better job with analytics by providing real-time metrics and correlation. So that's why uh, we're excited to, to bring some of those innovations to the, the CDM uh, stakeholders you know, across government. And probably the other area that I'm hearing a lot about is the user behavioral and event analytics, especially with the advancements in RPA that you mentioned in your opening. Um, you know, a bot has to have a credential to, to run, and also to, that credential should be removed after it's run. And there's some specific OMB, you know, um, I guess, memorandums around that that came out last year. But the ability to, to, to do that dynamically and then track and monitor the bot, as well as all the other entities that are on your network, um, and use mathematical models to derive the unknown threats, I think is an area that they're starting to look at, other than the typical business rules you would track with, uh, with user behaviors. The other reason why, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, that user behavior is becoming m more popular, more one of, the, one of their focus areas, is the push for zero trust. You hear that a lot where, okay, how do we ensure that, you know, David Ray is David Ray, and if he's logging in from, you know, Washington, D.C. at 10 p.m. on a Saturday night, he should be logging in from, you know, Washington, D.C. at 10 p.m. Uh, versus, hey, David also logged in at 7 p.m. from California. How does that work? Or, or at the same time. Yeah. And then and maybe he's traveling to California or not. And that's what we call rule-based um, user behavior analytics. And we've been doing that within our SIM for years. I, I think what's more challenging is the unknown threats, which are, you can only derive by basically studying somebody's pattern to see if it's abnormal or normal. Um, and then looking, uh, mapping patterns to roles so that you can do it without really understanding the user credentials. And that's what we're doing within our, our Interset offering. It was developed uh, at InQtel as part of the CIA initiatives, but it was all about understanding the unknown threats. So it would complement the normal business rule-based threats of seeing a, a, somebody logged in twice or from an odd location or at odd hours. It's looking for, for those patterns and learning over time what those patterns are, and then it can understand the, the unknown threat. It actually uses about 500 different mathematical models. So it's always the mathematicians that, that get these things right, you know. <laughs> you talk about data, and we have to then talk about cloud, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no way to process all this data without at least having some tools, some, some ability in the cloud. But let me, before we go down that path, let me ask you, OMB's Cloud Smart memo, the, the mm -hmm. final strategy, is uh, pushing a year old. I think June will be a year old. They put an application playbook, mm -hmm. a rationalization playbook after that, sometime a, a, a few weeks later. CloudSmart, you're seeing a difference there too, the way agencies are, are approaching moving to the cloud. I do, and I really have to commend uh, the council and, and for the work and the research they did and interviews they conducted to understand what was wrong with cloud first. I mean, it, 
it was more or less a cloud, a cloud mandate and, and a justification for, for uh, you know, IT upgrades and IT refresh more so you know, than migration to cloud. And, and it worked for a lot of commodity applications, but some applications, quite frankly, cost a lot more money to run the cloud based on their storage model, and some applications you just simply can't shift and lift or move to cloud. But agencies were attempting to do that, and there was a, a whole lot of mistakes uh, that occurred. So with Cloud Smart, um, the, the emphasis on doing that total cost of ownership and, and understanding the application type and, 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 and assessing the risk and the business or mission value of the application in the cloud, in addition to the TCO, uh, is what I commend. Because you know, it's something that uh, was called out in cloud first. They should do an assessment first, but it, there was not a, a, a prescriptive model on how to do it. So now they've given everybody this framework and a prescriptive model. Um, that said, I wish it was a little more prescriptive. You know, uh, <laughs> it was, cloud first was a little too prescriptive. This one could, could come a little back. Well, a, a little bit. And if, for example, they said do a data call. Well, we can do that discovery of applications automatically. Why do a data call? And once you do it, it's dead, right? So they could have given some advice on, on how to do that. And, and then tracking your portfolio, they didn't say how. They, you should use a portfolio management tool to do application rationalization. There's a lot of variables you need to track to calculate cost and total cost of ownership. And, and they didn't really talk much about segmentation of the different application types because you may recompose an application, refactor an application, or in some cases, the legacy applications, we found there's a huge ROI on simply doing rehost, which means not touching the legacy of the COBOL, rehosting it in Linux and the cloud. And the first step of that is to do some assessments. And, and uh, you know, we rolled out a very powerful enterprise analyzer just for those legacy applications, and we've had some success within DOD and civilian doing rehost, so you could take advantages of the cloud and save tens of millions of dollars initially, and then hopefully use that money to transform. Let's dig just yeah. a little deeper on the rehost piece. Sure. So uh, currently, I'm hosting in my data center. It's on you know um, a, a quote unquote fairly modern infrastructure, though it could be more modern. You're saying is is it different than lift and shift? Is saying we're going to take that and rehost it's, it in the cloud? It's very different. This is specifically for those mainframe applications, okay. or they're running on like a Unisys or a mainframe platform written in COBOL. Um, almost 50% of the, of the high value assets in almost every agency are, are still legacy. And people don't talk about that when they, when they move to cloud. They talk about the easy, you know, um, modern standard technologies that you can shift and lift using Docker and containers or, or, or VM and ship those things to the cloud. Whereas with COBOL apps, you just kind of want to let it go away. Or we've paid for it once, let's let it run. And that's why they've been there for 40 40, 50 years now. So they're taking that old legacy app that's on a mainframe and they're able to put it in the cloud. Correct. We, we have an enterprise analyzer which will uh, assess all the data stores and all, you know the enterprise application in its COBOL form and then we compile COBOL and machine code in Linux and we can run that in Azure. We've done this for several federal customers and essentially retire tens of millions of dollars that you're spending on MIPS. Uh, to run that application. Oh, it's a very okay. economical, low-risk platform. So when you look at Cloud Smart, it would have been nice if they had mentioned some alternatives. Geo did a nice study, and they picked the top 10 right. studies. Actually, three of those were using our technologies, oh. the, three, the three top ones, which is, you know, some of them were just moving commodity email applications to the cloud, too, which is, a, to me, a no-brainer. But when it comes to those legacy uh, COBOL applications and mission-critical high-value assets, uh, I think a low-risk approach is, is this rehost strategy. And then with the savings, if you've Got a working capital fund, and you've done your MGTF. <laughs> Maybe you could repurpose yes. them to keep Jerry Connolly happy. <laughs> you bring up a great point around the legacy applications because I think agencies focus with cloud first on those commodity, those emails. I mean, Correct. I think it's something like seventy 
five, 78%, maybe even more now, of all agencies have email in the cloud. And, mm -hmm. and, and the several that don't, the Justice Department, I think, is one of them, and, and maybe SSA is another. They're getting there. They're on their mm -hmm. way. So now as agencies look into 2020 and beyond, they're looking at, okay, what else can I do? And that's where that mission legacy side comes in. And, and I think that's important because not every app is the same, so you have to kind of mm -hmm. keep that in mind. You guys have a way to score those apps too, right? Absolutely. And uh, we, we have about a, a questionnaire, about 150 different questions, which just allows you to describe the architecture and its footprint, its storage models that then allow you to to make some decisions, whether it's a standard, you know, client server or web-based uh, end-tier application, or it's a legacy application. It's a different value proposition for taking to cloud, and it's usually the uh, the heavy uh, compute applications with storage that are going to be incredibly expensive when you get into those, you know, S3 storage buckets and and some of those some of those issues that you have with moving to the cloud and a lot of times that cost grows dynamically just as your compute and elasticity grows in the cloud and agencies were totally unprepared with right. how to manage that um, how to handle it so it's, it's it's incredibly important to do those assessments first um, and with the legacy apps I, I like the rehost model is the first step um, to free up some of the savings for for uh, transformation eventually it opens up rest APIs uh, you can leverage enterprise services for you know, user access and credentialing that are, um, you can shift DevOps off, just the DevOps load off the mainframe to the cloud and keep the production workload there and, uh, and help, you know, have a common DevOps approach for you know, all of your technologists and your workforce, things like that. Um, you, you mentioned DevOps, we're going to get to that in the next segment. First, okay. let's take a quick break. <laughs> You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The 10th annual MicroFocus Government Solutions Summit is coming to the Marriott Marquis in Washington, D.C. on March 10th. The Art of Digital Transformation is this year's theme and will feature insightful contributions from our invited speakers, including Daniel Coates, former Director of National Intelligence, Suzette Kent, Federal CIO, Nicholas Chalon, U.S. Air Force Chief Software Officer, and Dr. Ron Ross, NIST Fellow. The event is March 10th, so register today at FocusGovSummit.com. That's FocusGovSummit.com. Welcome back, you're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, David Ray, the Public Sector Chief Technology Officer for MicroFocus Government Solutions. David, before break, you, you opened the door for the discussion around DevSecOps. Mm -hmm. uh, this also has got to talk about automation, and really the two pieces here draw, are driving transformation, which is really the right. third piece of that three-legged stool of cloud. Let's start with transformation. That's, I think, the big goal that, that OMB is mm -hmm. laying out that agencies have for themselves in 2020 and beyond. Walk me through how you guys are viewing transformation. Sure, well, we, we see transformation as a digital transformation. And one of the things we looked at about five to six years ago was a new model for IT based on the, uh, the new tools around IT. Because for a long time, the model was plan, build, run. Um, but what was missing with automation is delivery. So we, we worked to develop an open standard for, for IT uh, based on the IT for IT standard with the open group, which includes deliver as part of that automation play um, within IT management, and then developed a reference architecture and specific standards around that that vendors could adopt. So the government basically could shift a lot of their requirements um, to vendors to, to provide through content All capabilities. Right, let me jump in, when you say open standard for IT, we know what open standard means. Correct. It's not non-proprietary, easy definition. But what does it do? Like, help me understand what it means. Sure. So, so uh, like IBM, Boeing, Shell, ServiceNow, and MicroFocus are all members of a consortium, and we've agreed upon a reference architecture for IT management, which includes the service model, the data model, the key performance indicators, 
that a certain IT function should deliver. So it, it doesn't compete with Autool, which is a process you know, best practice. It's more of a functional description of IT. Okay. And therefore, when, you build, when the government builds requirements, they can specify the measurements and data elements that they'd like, and any tool they purchase that conforms should easily align, and it shifts that integration cost then. We, we have this in telecom, we have it in, in financial, you know, with purchase to order, and we have it in other sectors, in manufacturing, we just never did it for IT. So, you know, it's something we did about a decade ago and it was adopted uh, about four years ago and, and we're, we're aligning our portfolio to, to that standard, as are other vendors. And this will drive transformation because if it's on an open standard, the product, while important, it's going to, the plug and play can happen Absolutely. more easily. It's the interoperability and I think that, that plays a big part with DevOps. Um, because what's going on right now, DevOps is essentially where cloud was, you know, five years ago. It's, it's a lot of marketing with hundreds of tools and no consolidation has occurred yet, um, you know, in, in the tool cycle. So the wrong way to approach it is to put a big BPA together to choose 500 tools and give it to all your developers. I, I think the right way to approach it is to provide, you know, take it off the, the, the local teams, the DevOps teams, and provide true enterprise services for software assurance, for performance management, performance testing, for uh, source code control, um, as well as the provisioning and monitoring and operations pieces. So um, we saw that several years ago and the efficiencies that could be gained and actually internally, our own R&D, we built a, quite a comprehensive software factory to, to solve that using a lot of uh, our tools as well as some open source tools. I want to delve deeper into that software factory, but before we do that, let me tag back around. As agencies are moving down the path of DevSecOps, I think for, that's where we hear that more mm -hmm. often, uh, I, I see a lot of progress, a lot of people talking about it. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing? Are they making actual progress or are they putting a new skin, if you will, on top of Waterfall? I, I think there's some wonderful examples where they've had uh, local teams having excellence within a program or within a project. But I think the opportunity we're missing is to have enterprise policy and services and consolidation of the tool chain. Because what happens is when it gets down to the developers, there's a lot of vulnerabilities in open source software. Almost 50% of it has known vulnerabilities. And you can scan and remove them, but there's no sharing of knowledge across development teams. And there's no central scanning of code so they can share on lessons learned and techniques. So you really need to treat it as an enterprise, as a service for those development teams to get consistent, predictable results across the tool chain. You'll get good results in a program or a team, but if you want results towards mission capability that are predictable and repeatable, let's say within DOD as a whole, um, you need to provide those, you know, and enterprise services around it. And that's, that's been our focus with enterprise uh, DevOps with security, you know, built in. That, that's a great segue to the software factory because you guys uh, mm -hmm. drank your own champagne. Let's, let's say we don't say eat your own dog food anymore, but right. by, by developing this software factory, you're able to show, hey, we're doing it for our own products. And, and here Correct. are the benefits government, that's what Correct. you're saying, and, your clients. And we're, we, I like to think of it as a thousand problems solved. You know, we started this several years ago, and the biggest problem was getting adoption, you know, within our own development teams. <laughs> we had 500 of them, right? And every one of them had their own tool chain and their own tool sets. We had hundreds of redundant processes between test and dev and, you know, anything from taking a product to market. When you look at that entire uh, a tool chain, we had a lot of redundancies and duplicity with, within ourselves. And so... We use the framework I just talked about, an open standard, to rationalize um, our, our tool chain to 11 to 12 products. Even though we had multiple tools for, for some, some areas, we, we had to make some, some choices. And then we built an end-to-end -end measurement uh, you know, product you know, based, based on our Octane product for Agile, which aligned us uh, uh, closer with an enterprise-scale you know, safe method methodology we were rolling out. Um, and so that's basically the economy of scale that we achieved. And today we're doing 20 to 
about 20 to 30 million um, scans nightly of our source, source code, and we've been able to do close to 2,000 production releases of software a year, as well as um, uh, about the same, you know, 2,000 or so change, change releases. So we, we've improved, um, you know, our velocity and we've reduced our risk. And most importantly, with less pools and less processes, we're able to align much better with the new NIST, um, you know, framework for supply chain management, especially around the software supply chain. You know, everything can be built here in the USA for our government customers, and we can validate um, and inspect that entire tool chain much easier because we have less component parts. So I'm a little fearful, you know, with some of the agencies of what they're doing because they're more or less creating a supermarket of, of products, um, and they really need to focus on, uh, on one or two success stories products and developing those services. Is, um, this, is this software factory something you could take the concepts and the tools and, and, and move it into an agency and do it as yeah, a service? Definitely. One of the things, our whole focus was to give it to our customers. So we have a content repository, which we store in Enterprise Git and GitHub. We're using GitHub. We're using an, some open source artifactories and some other things that are, that are provided you know, as part of our tool chain. But we make that available for agencies to be able to pull down all the content for integrations. Um, and if they pick tools that align with uh, standards you know, that we've talked about, it makes the integration even easier. Um, uh, to, to set up that pool chain. But essentially, it's about a dozen, a dozen or so uh, products. Okay. Um, and, and when you talk about DevSecOps in the government, what, what types of questions, what, what are you hearing from your clients about, hey, how do we, or how do we get started, or hey, we're already down this path, and here's the big obstacle we're facing. Or is there anything, any, any trends you point to? Yeah, most of the questions I get today are about integration of tools and how to do some of the automation. So they're very tactical at a low level. So they may want to know how do I innovate a, you know, integrate a scanner for containers as well as scanners for open source with your Fortify product, let's say, for SEC, you know, for your source code management control. And we'll, we'll give them content to allow them to do that. But th what they really should be asking is, how do I drive value so I get adoption by teams for this enterprise service? And they're not quite there yet. What we discovered is we had to have a service owner and a technical owner. And the service owner was more or less an evangelist that was for, for the, the developer to make sure that those, the services we were providing were adding value. If it wasn't adding value, we were at the wrong level. You know, we were too low, you know, trying to implement things at a, perhaps the developer's level of his tools. You don't want to mess with his tools and his library. You want to be at the right level. And for us, it was um, making sure they were updating their Kanban from an agile perspective, and we were getting the measurements and metrics we needed back, and also using our enterprise you know, uh, SCCM product, and as well as our code scanning, code testing tools, and services mm -hmm. we rolled out. Oh, one of the other piece of this is as we walk through the transformation, the DevSecOps, the, the, the software factory, is data security. And I think that's a piece that sometimes people lose sight of. Everything agencies do is based on data. They can't secure the data if they don't create the trust with the data, but mm -hmm. also make it accessible at the same time. It's, it's a very, it's, when we talk about striking the balance, that, that's really the, the, the piece where agencies need to do the most work. How does all this fit into this discussion of transformation, fit into how agencies need to manage their data better to, it, to, to yeah, go that's forward? A, a great point. I think that uh, you, you really hit on, on something. There's a lot of duplicity and waste in data, which creates not just compliance and FOIA issues, but a huge security risk. And the data, quite frankly, the government has a ton of data on citizens, and they're starting to share that, you know, between DMV, not healthcare data, but IRS data, you know, tax information with census data, to, to answer new questions that, that, that people are asking, you know, about citizens so they can essentially serve them better, you know, and, and improve public safety and other things. But the problem is that they're not doing a very good job at securing that data. 
And there are techniques like encryption in use that NIST has you know, recommended, but yet Congress has failed to, to, to put any specific laws in place for encryption in use. Today, most agencies are only concerned about encryption at rest or in transit, um, which quite frankly isn't good enough. You, know, you, you have to protect that data essentially even when you're doing analytics or when it's in use, um, especially if you're going to share it. You know, a, a, across agencies or between agencies with the APIs and some of the things that, that, that they're developing. So I think the first step is to deduplicate a lot of that data, defensively delete data, and make sure that you understand how it relates to the infrastructure from a security perspective and how it relates to applications. And that's another area where agencies are incredibly weak. They, they may have inventory data, but they don't understand how that inventory relates to, to the uh, security event information that's occurring and where the data is located and what data is there. That knowledge is, is a mystery to a lot of the, the knocks and the socks that are in, in federal environments today. Um, and that really tags back to the beginning of our conversation when we talked about security and CDM. You've got to know what data is out there, where it lives, and what it says to make better decisions about how to secure how to deal with high-value assets. Are agencies going down the path of discovering their dark data? Are they going down the path of dealing with unstructured data? Or is that still that's something we'll talk about in three I, or four years from now? I, I, think it, I think they're going to, unfortunately, I think they're going to find out as they start having breaches that they need to be paying more attention to, to that area. Today, it's really around refining and doing optimization, data center optimization, and automation at a, at a lower level. Um, and there is not a, a, a tie between where data is located and how it relates back to a mission capability or an application today that, that, that does not, not exist. You can, you can derive it with some AI tools, and, and we have some analytics tools for both security and operations that can help with that, but it really requires a, a mapping of a full topology of a, of a mission capability. And our agencies aren't there today. Now on the commercial side, it's a different story. They have complete visibility you know, for their high value assets um, and the topology, and it's easier for them to, to create watch lists um, from a security perspective in their SOC, and, and it's easier for them to protect um, you know, their crown jewels and their IP. Uh, on, the, on the government side, we're just not quite there yet. I'm hoping CDM Defend will, will get people more interested in that topic and, and they're also using things like uh, Voltage for encryption and use uh, technologies that are being recommended by NIST. David, we're just about out of time. Uh, before I let you go, what, what's the big takeaway from our conversation today? As you talk to clients, as you talk to customers, what's the message that they should understand about transformation? Well, I, I, I think they really should focus um, on taking a closer look at Cloud Smart, and then taking a, taking a look at these requirements holistically, because you can do things that are foundational that help you, uh, you know, uh, transform to cloud, address Cloud Smart, and CDM, and improve operational capabilities at the same time. Um, there's just some foundational things that you can fix in, in your environments and solve multiple problems. Um, and I don't think people are, uh, agencies are doing that today, mainly because of the way programs and budgets and IT is structured, they're, they're solving one, you know, one use case or one problem, and then they end up with a lot of duplicity in tools, and I would, I would love to, to try and help them you know, uh, talk through some of those problems, and we're making some progress in, in DOD and civilian, but, but quite frankly, you know, they're not asking the right questions today. Well, you brought up budget, we could have a whole show on budget, but maybe next time, because unfortunately we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest, David Ray, the Public Sector Chief Technology Officer at Microfocus Government Solutions. David, thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you, Jason, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.
The 10th Annual Microfocus Government Solutions Summit is coming to the Marriott Marquis in Washington, D.C. on March 10th. The art of digital transformation is this year's theme. Federal agencies share a unified goal as they enter the new decade, and that is bringing speed, agility, security, and insights to their organizations. We'll address key government priorities, including enterprise DevSecOps, cybersecurity and data protection, predictive analytics, and many others. Register today at FocusGovSummit.com. That's FocusGovSummit.com.